Love is in the air, and there are few things that I love more than a profitable restaurant. What's your plan to ensure that this Valentine's Day is your most profitable yet? Connect with the Yelp for Restaurants restaurant expert to gain access to the tools and tactics you need to have a banner Valentine's Day. Visit restaurants.yelp.com to start planning today. Now here we go. By thinking of Plantburger much more as a fast food joint than something hybrid, I look at how can we consistently look back at the lessons that fast food has taught in terms of speed and pick up on those and stay true to our chef-driven roots. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Ben Kaplan of Plant Burger is taking the fight for burger supremacy to the streets. He's a man who isn't content with owning the vegetarian fast casual market. He wants to cannibalize the whole burger industry. Today's conversation gets right to the heart of what matters most to our consumers. Ben's idea is to win the hearts and minds of others by winning their bellies first. first got into restaurants similar to most, I think, in terms of finding a first job. So went to the local restaurateur in Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, a guy named Gary Lucarelli. And he had an opportunity at a restaurant that really scratched at one of my passions, which was theater. He had a restaurant inside the theater complex. I was hired as a singing runner. I really learned front of house and back of house culture very quickly as a runner in that environment. Fun experience in navigating the people behind the restaurant culture, right, that I was in, at least at that point. So it was a very weird experience. It tapped into a few passions, but what I saw really was what a restaurant family looks like. And that was really interesting to me. It was really what drew me to continuing to work in restaurants after my first job. As I continued to explore my passions with theater, uh, went to New York City, and in doing that, I uh, kind of leveled up my understanding of how to work in restaurants with that move. And like any good musical theater grad student, I'm working in restaurants at least five days a week to pay for school and to continue exploring that passion, even outside of school, and paid the bills. So I uh, worked every position, busser, runner, server, and then uh, finally settled in at a restaurant called Fleur de Sel. And that's, it was a restaurant on 20th Street between uh, 5th and Broadway. It, it's no longer a restaurant, but an amazing block to be on, right? Walking past Gramercy Tavern and Veritas at the time and um, rolling up to this wonderful, tiny little French place that had a Michelin star. And then being in a new family of people who did this as their career and um, very quickly understood that I needed to level up my skill set around this if I really wanted to be a part of this family. And still working in theater and trying to explore that career, but getting more and more serious about the content matter and the, the subject matter of hospitality. And so one of the fun things at Florida Cell is a really 
tiny place. I think there were 12 tables, but it was all tasting menus and a consignment wine list that was about 400 pages long. So I, uh, you know, quickly became a student of wine because of that. At the same time, my sister was going to college in uh, graduate school at UC Davis. She's an equine veterinarian. So there's about two or three programs that you can go to in the country. And she chose Northern California. Why not? All of her friends were enology majors. Uh, It's one of the big schools for that. And so family trips, visiting her, engaging with her while I was kind of working towards understanding this, this extensive wine list was really an exciting time. And I think through wine, I understood the depth and the richness of the, the product, I think, that we are talking about when we're talking about delivering hospitality and delivering in restaurants. Wine was a, a really important anchor for me and continues to be a passion today for me, even though we don't serve anything at, at Plant Burger. It's an anchor for me into the industry for a lot of reasons which I can get into, but I think uh, that's sort of where I really accelerated my passion from being a part of a family to being a high-performing part of the family too, and really getting my tactics underneath me. Fast forward a couple of years, uh, worked in the theater industry, uh, did sourcing and merchandising for Broadway shows and live events, kind of stepped away from the restaurant business for a little while, but missed the family environment. So I went back to be a coat check at uh, Scott Conan's Scarpetta on 14th Street and realized quickly that this is where I want to spend my time. This is where I want to spend my life. And so uh, sort of said goodbye to theater as a career and stepped into my restaurant career there, was given tons of opportunities by Scott and, and the team there to grow, ended up as the general manager through several other sort of steps at Scarpetta. And that's what sort of solidified my place as an operations leader at that time. With Scott, you know, continued to understand and conceptualize what it meant to have a concept at scale, right? And because I was in charge of the flagship location, it was, we were building processes, we were really helping the restaurants that were opening, and it was a pretty fast growth phase for Scarpetta during the time when I was, why was holding it down in New York. And Scott was integral in sort of teaching me at that point how to scale a culture around hospitality. And I think that was amazing to see during that growth phase and and what that meant. I said goodbye to New York City in 2014, met my wife at Scarpetta, and we both decided we needed to move away. And so came up to Boston where her family has a house on uh, Cape Cod. And so that's where we decided we'd sort of escape the city and go somewhere where we know we can continue to escape, but has a a good enough food scene for us. And uh, worked with an amazing chef up here named Barbara Lynch and started as a GM in her oyster bar and uh, then took over a couple concepts, the oyster bar and the butcher shop and eventually grew into the director of operations for all seven concepts that she had here in Boston. And what was amazing about that was kind of moving from an environment where we were looking at scaling a specific brand to seven totally different brands, all in the same geographic marketplace with the same potential customer, but 
seven different operations, teams, management teams, challenges to them. And three of the restaurants were in the same exact physical footprint, but they could not have operated more differently, right? Drinks, Portello, Montan. It's an amazing operation when you look at it in totality, when you think about how different those operations are and, and what each of them need to succeed, just the combination of it created a fun challenge from an ops perspective. And so learned everything, I think, in terms of what is my style of operations there and picked up a tapped into, I would say, a real innate desire to be an entrepreneur. And watching Barbara and her entrepreneurial spirit and learning from that really rubbed off on me. And that's really, I think, the beginning stages of Plant Burger started from that feeling of wanting to be an entrepreneur, wanting to build something, enjoying my time building in addition to sustaining an operation and really kind of exciting to shift in terms of away from fine dining to something that was highly scalable, uh, really portable, and really effective and efficient model-wise, but taking a lot of the lessons that I learned around people, how to establish a culture, and how to be a voracious entrepreneur from all of these wonderful operators that I, I got to spend time with. Can we talk about that? Because I made the same journey, and it was super interesting for me. So yeah. I went from nightlife, I ran nightclubs for other people, then I owned a bar in Hollywood, that was the seed money to get into fine dining. That was a rude awakening. I mean, how hard could it possibly be to open a fine dining restaurant, especially when you've never done it before. So that was a nightmare. But after doing all of that, I knew I could easily knock out fast casual. And that was a nightmare. That was a massive learning curve. Certainly not to judge types of consumers because I consume all types of things. But what I found was is that fast casual customers are much angrier than fine dining customers. And it's, you're smiling and nodding. Here's the thing. Like with fine dining, as long as it's great, people don't give a shit how long it takes within reason. Right. Here's what I found sure. with my fast casual fried chicken concept. The best chicken sandwich delivered in 15 minutes, pales in comparison to a mediocre chicken sandwich delivered in six. It's just, there are a lot of needs to serve in fast casual that totally blindsided me. I was like, as long as we're the best, that's all that matters. But the consumer defined best in a very different way than I did. Was that your experience or are you brighter than me? <laughs> I think I, I'm no, it, it was a discovery experience for sure. And certainly like we have a product that is in and of itself a challenge for the consumer to immediately align with and, and immediately get on board with. So the demands for convenience, accuracy and speed, which I think are qualities of the product itself that are much more important in this environment. Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about sort of demand for that, right? Because I think those components, accuracy and speed, are something that in fine dining environments don't tend to be pressure points, right? You sort of trust in accuracy because you build all of these systems around it. And how many times is at Montan an allergy made aware to people, right? So there's a huge amount of investment in systems for accuracy 
And then speed, as you said, is less of an issue because they're looking for the value in taste and I think the marriage of elements of experience. I think my learning curve with fast casual would what is that alchemy of touch points and in actually accepting that speed as part of the product, right? And honestly, I learned that by thinking of Plant Burger much more as a fast food joint than something hybrid. I look at how can we consistently look back at the lessons that fast food has taught in terms of speed and pick up on those and stay true to our chef-driven roots. My partner, Spike, you know, world-class chef who's worked in the top restaurants in the, in the world and has also brought a lot of fine dining qualities into his fast casual concept so far, helped me understand how to make that leap, that culinary leap from one to the other. But operationally, it was harder for me to see, okay, the ideas of removing friction from the ops process, from the team and what they have to do become so much more important in this environment than, frankly, in in fine dining, where you want the guests to feel that there's no friction, that everything's perfectly smooth. But the need to eliminate that friction in the fast food, fast casual world is a necessity of the product and an expectation of the guest. And yeah, I think there's a lot of learnings you can bring. I think there's a lot of times that I look back at myself and said, man, I should have been a GM at McDonald's for two years before I tried this on my own. The hurdle for me was always in fine dining, there's always a way to make people happy. But in fast food and fast casual, there is not always that way. You comp a $200 meal, they'll walk out maybe a little pissed, but generally satisfied. But I mean, you comp a $16 meal, they didn't get to enjoy it. It's not what they wanted. You spike their allergies. They're late getting back to work. There's just like, you've lost that customer for life. Are there tools that you put in place for your teams to try and create satisfaction when things do go sideways? Yeah. And I think the key to that is the speed by which you resolve. It all sort of has to do with that, right? But I agree with you. I think the risk is higher when it comes to a guest recovery situation in our environments. But really, the name of the game and a scalable concept with that, I think I look at this Starbucks methodology of giving every barista gift cards to pass out when something goes wrong, right? And to me, that's the key to it in our environment is the the transaction is too fast and the loss happens too fast for it not to be handled right there, right now. And so empowering our teams to step in, not to have to check in with a manager, not to have to go explain the situation to chef or not have to go around the block to do guest recovery is one of the systems. And I think it applies to fine dining too in the best of environments, right? If your captain can solve the problem for you and the manager doesn't have to come to your table and make you feel awkward about the fact that you're complaining, It's a similar tactic. I just think it's more important in fast food, fast casual, that the team on site is fully empowered to solve and recover guest problems with whatever means necessary. So our ops team is often talking about the theory of the answer is yes, what's the question? And I think keeping that as part of our team member mentality helps combat the consistent guest issues that pop up and and arise. I want to talk to you about product market fit. It is great to niche. 
fabulous, right? You have this audience, you own this audience, you're who they go to to serve. But the other side of niching is total addressable market. Your concept is one where, sure, the first one might have been a passion project. We can make this work and you can grind hard enough to create some semblance of product market fit. But as you scale out two and more, you have to find that audience, right? You can't create demand. If they don't want what you're selling, you're never going to convince them to buy it. So what is that product market fit? engine look like is you guys look to scale the second, the third, the 12th, the 20th? Sure. Yeah. So I think the answer to your question starts with the fact of why plant burger, right? Why is the concept a burger joint? And I think that's what we lean into when it comes to attacking product market fit in the first place is let's pick the biggest category that we can play in with a niche approach. Right. And so ultimately, our marketing and our approach to the consumer is we are the next best burger restaurant. Right. We're going to be your new favorite burger joint. We're going to be the Shake Shack of 2008 that people wanted to stand in line for and just attempt to try. Now, we have the challenge of education, I think, in front of that. And we have to speed up that process so that people stop thinking about our value proposition or our impact proposition as far as what our burgers do for the planet or healthful qualities to it. And instead, really get them on board with taste is king. This is burgers, fries and shakes. We're not reinventing the experience or the wheel, but you're going to have a better taste, a better value a better hospitality experience, and it's going to be your new neighborhood burger joint. And that's really how we look at our concept internally. Now, to be honest, everybody externally says, okay, well, the first thing I see is plant. So what does that mean? And that is the challenge that we have in terms of growing this brand is we want to be transparent. We want people to be completely aware, right? We don't want to trick them into it. But once we get them over that hump, take those walls down and say, this is a classic burger joint experience. We are not reinventing any wheel here for you. And we're not going to make you taste flavors that you've never had before. It's going to be something that's nostalgic, familiar. And so when we look at the right market for our product and have a realization, right, and the truth that the right consumer for this is at least going to be open-minded to trial, we look for the markets that are currently open-minded to diverse eating practices. And I think that's why we've kind of stuck with major DMAs on the East Coast. Certainly, we see the benefit of other major markets that have adopted plant-based eating as a way of dining. But I think you know we're more focused on, are there open-minded consumers who are trying new things every so often? Because once they are willing to try, we feel like we can win over on sort of the classic values of a burger joint. The things that we live and die by as restaurateurs is like food quality, quality of service, and then consistency, right? So those were the things that I always prided myself on as a restaurateur looking through that lens. But as a businessman, like those should be table stakes, 
right? Sure. That box of Cheerios didn't poison you. It's the same size box it was before. And there's the same portion size inside of it. It tastes the same every time. It costs roughly the same every time. So when I stopped priding myself on the things that should just be assumed, then I started focusing on fiscal responsibility, right? Yeah. Are we making money today? I've said this many times on the show before, but for years, like a decade, I used to say, well, you know, when we make 1.4 million instead of 1.3, that's when we'll be profitable, right? When X, Y, and Z happen, that's when we'll actually begin to run a sustainable business where I can pay myself instead of paying to work for free. Yeah. And when you take a businessman's perspective, you say this business will be profitable. It will be profitable today. We will maximize efficiencies and the table stakes will be the table stakes. But That's not what we're going to focus on because that should take care of itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I'm not on a dissimilar journey to where you are. And I didn't take a noted pit stop in marketing, I would say. But I think in entrepreneurship or, or being an entrepreneur, as a lens, which I looked at this, right? And have, I think, even graduated from that into a focus on being a businessman. And I think the market shift has had a big impact on me because of that. And the excitement to create value out of nothing is, I think, the lens that the entrepreneur in me was viewing things when we first started. And frankly, when we were in a hyper growth mode over the last couple of years. And right now I'm seeing this is, as you said, like the profits are almost the table stakes at this point, right? And that's where you want to start because it all trickles down to all the things that we want to accomplish, including building new restaurants, including operating great restaurants with great experiences where people have a good time one services the other and one creates the other. And so it's a holistic view for me, but where I define myself right now is as a sort of protector of plant burger. I want plant burger to last for thousands of years. And so taking a sustainable business approach to it is certainly the lens that I'm looking at it now. The other hurdle in fast casual in my mind is pricing, right? It's hard to sell an $18 sandwich. It's hard to sell a $22 sandwich. Even if consumers understand the margin, they would tell you, get better at margins. <laughs> and things are getting more expensive, especially in the plant space. And I think they're going to continue to do so. How do you define value for the consumer in a way that resonates? Because I think as an industry, we've taken a very apologetic perspective, right? I'm sorry, this is so expensive. I really wish it wasn't. As we skate by on these razor thin margins, how have you traversed that landscape? I think we are still experimenting with what the right price point is for this product. I think the biggest challenge for us is our supply chain is vegetable innovation, right? A lot of people really look at us and say, plant-based, well, that should be cheap. Veggies are cheaper than what I buy meat for in the meat section of the grocery store, especially now. So why is yours expensive? Why is yours more expensive, right? If it's made all from plants. And so that's really the biggest challenge that we've had. Aspirationally, we, I think, look at democratizing plant-based foods as part of our concept, like not only in terms of what is the product we choose to serve as a burger, which is a widely accessible 
item for people to grasp onto, but also in price point. And so to answer your question, we've been really challenged to pass on that value to the consumer where I've seen the results and the consumer feeling the value is going back to my fine dining tactics and saying that the product in and of itself is not worth a $175 tasting menu. It's just not. And so what kind of pieces, points can we add value to deliver a valuable experience? And I think hospitality is where it has to be in fast casual. We can't slack on that. In fact, we have to refine it so that it's happening at scale across many locations in different markets with different people. And then I truly look, and and our business is interesting because we have about 50-50 split of people ordering in person versus ordering through some other modality. And of the people who are not coming in person, we can't have a touchpoint experience with, you know, how do we put more value into those experiences as well? And so we're constantly thinking about our digital audience and how to give them that extra touch point. But I think we're in a product category where trial is very important. So we love giving away free food for trial because, as I said, it's creating value for the consumer. Yes, giving them an entry point, but breaking down that fear. So, you know, a lot of our marketing resources are allocated to free food, get it in people's mouths and sell the taste and they will pay for what it is. Let's talk about sampling. I interviewed TK Pillen probably about a year ago with Veggie Grill. Do you know him by chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he swears by sampling. Yeah. I think he said, you know, I had a food in mouth strategy. That's how I was going to scale out. Talk to me about what those initiatives look like, because I've got to tell you, I think that regardless of whether it's vegetarian or just standard food, I think many concepts could benefit from sampling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is what we do, right? Our product at the end of the day is is something for people to eat or drink. And frankly, there's so many options out there for people to try that if you're not willing to give something away for free, especially if it's a discovery product, that you're missing a huge segment of customer because they just will make the decision based on, okay, I can try that for free. I'm going to go get that. For us, I think we've got a unique situation because 11 of our 13 stores are inside of Whole Foods markets. We created a relationship with Whole Foods out of the gate and it was long lasting and and really win-win partnership thus far through the pandemic and now even post-pandemic as we started to explore brick and mortar. But for us, sampling was the way that we actually broke down the distance between ourselves and the shopper inside of the Whole Foods because picking your head up and sort of walking into a restaurant or a kiosk environment inside of a Whole Foods is not a normal experience for the shopper. They're not looking to go get a meal at Whole Foods from a restaurant concept. And so sampling became our way of kind of marrying the shopper experience that's a normative, normal shopper experience to, hey, we exist. And without fail, and I did a lot of our sampling up front and people would say, okay, where, what aisle can I go buy this in, right? And then it was the education of, oh, 
Well, we actually exist as a restaurant concept over in the prepared food section. You can order one of these and take it out for your family tonight for dinner, or here's our app, download our app, et cetera. So I think sampling helps to define for people what the product is. You can't have a discovery product and be unwilling to kind of share it and sample it with people. It not only helps with acquisition and sort of breaking down that fear, but it helps with feedback too. And if we're creating a transaction with people, they feel that that's an agreement, right? To deliver on a promise. And that agreement in of itself gives barriers to, I would say, an authentic, transparent relationship between us and our guests when it comes to getting feedback. And so sampling for us was a great opportunity to get great feedback along the way too, and really refine our menu offerings. How many revenue streams do you have and what are the most lucrative? Yeah. So I guess, do you consider third-party sort of channels a separate revenue stream? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, we're on the big three third parties. We have our own online ordering segment. And then we've got in-store point of sale. We do a lot of single meal office drop-off catering, which I'll call a separate segment than kind of large format, which we also do and, and have been relatively successful in. Our biggest category is still our in-person traffic. And I guess equal to digital, when you start to break down the digital versus first party versus third party, you get you know about equal mix there. So 50% uh, coming direct and 50% going through the third party channels. So for us, we leverage a lot. We've stayed focused on our core and for our supplementary offerings, we've really vetted them by saying we cannot change the factory, right? The factory has to keep moving at its pace. And so any type of offering, whether it's large format or otherwise, has to move through the environment in the same way. And still be easy for our staff to execute on. And so that's kind of how we vet other channels, right? Things we won't do is pick up a virtual dining concept out of the back of our kitchens, because I think that introduces friction, it introduces confusion. And so back to keeping a speed as a number one sort of important value characteristic for consumers Anything we do to throw a wrench in the back of our house for a buck is not necessarily serving us in a sustainable way. So we limit the revenue channels or the revenue opportunities to things that are core to our product. I think we will explore things like merchandise, and I think we will explore things like more sort of licensed or off-premise opportunities that come along. But we definitely are of the ilk of we need to be where the consumer wants us to be. And I think not of that we believe the consumer needs to come and be in our perfect sort of order modality to have the right experience. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. You and I both grew up in it. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Transparency is the word that really comes to mind. I think there's and Maybe, I don't know if you have a story around this, but oftentimes as you're growing up in this industry and you're learning kind of the ropes, there feels like a veiled secrets always in terms of 
what are the business's objectives? What do the managers want? What does everybody need from me? And I think there's a huge amount of room for every leader in the restaurant business to take a breath and really understand that sharing your authentic needs and your authentic truths with your team and through every level of the chain of command is only going to align everyone around what the objectives are for our guests. And so right now, I feel that at large, our industry talks about really serving the needs of our staff and our teams, but doesn't share with them what are the goals of the business, what are the goals of uh, and our objectives. And therefore, at times, it feels like people are not all swimming in the in the same direction, I guess. And that becomes disjointed experience for the guest ultimately. And, you know, I think that's where we need to improve. Policy-wise, you know, I think the model itself is broken, right? And so I'd like to see some relief of restaurants being the high-pressure tenant that needs to make every commercial development work, right? There's got to be some level of relief for the amount of steps in the supply chain and all the people that you know are involved in it with restaurants being the second to last pass for that food and having to actually get the consumer to spend on it right so i think there's things in our model that intrinsically need to be changed in order for restaurants to continue to build communities and really be those thriving points of retail spaces because there's not a ton of shoe stores opening anytime soon. And I think it's still, as we saw during the pandemic, and really when certain things released, it became the one desire for humans was let's get out. And people didn't go back and say, I must get back to the store, right? It was entertainment, live events, and restaurants. And so that's what human beings want. They want that ability to experience food and beverage outside of the home, but the business model continues to make it harder and harder for us to provide that level of variety to the consumer and to continue to grow unique, interesting businesses along the way. So I will always be uh, an advocate for the kind of independent restaurant as far as we take this concept, because I think you can scale about out of business as much as you want, but keeping true to those kind of independent restaurant themes of really kind of marrying the service, the people, the food, the flavors, that's what's going to alchemize into an actual valuable experience for consumers. That's Ben Kaplan. For more information on Plant Burger, visit plantburger.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.